Okay. Yeah, and I was like, what? Like, I had never even seen that before. It's like, mm-hmm. what? You can, you can swim in the waves with your camera, and it's, <laughs> it's a job? And it was like, I, I obviously, I need to be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, friends. That is Sachi Cunningham, a surf documentary filmmaker making a big wave surf film with some of my most favorite surf athletes. I'm big mountain skier and adventurer, Lindsay Dyer, and this is the Showing Up podcast. I started these conversations in person with real humans making a life in the outdoors to inspire the unicorn in you, to embrace your weird, do the thing, even if you suck at it, and fully show up for this one wild and precious life. I met Sachi a few weeks ago in Hawaii while I was learning to kiteboard, which has been amazing and frustrating and terrifying and amazing to be a beginner again in a warm water sport that fully just uses the wind uh, to explore. Oh my gosh, I could go on and on, but that's another podcast. My dear friend and pro kiteboarder, Susie Mai, had dedicated her birthday to hosting an evening of fundraising for this upcoming film, currently titled She Change. Uh, That's where I met some of my heroes, big wave surfers, Kiela Kennelly, you got to know who she is. And if you don't, you got to look her up right now. She is so rad. Surfs the biggest waves I've ever seen. And Andrea Moeller. Wow. Wow. These, some of the most amazing athletes I've ever met. And Andrea is also a mother uh, and riding these insane, massive waves. It's crazy how much I could relate to these women uh, on the big mountain side. You know, we always assume that everyone else has it easier than us, especially surfers, you know, who appeal to a bigger audience. But I couldn't believe how many parallel stories we had. A few days before we sat down for this interview, the girls were pitching to a tough group their story and why it needs to be told. Uh, currently, the film is fundraising, and in the interest of helping more young girls see women doing rad things, things that they could aspire to versus standing around looking pretty. I want to do everything I can to help see that this film gets made and the story is told. And frankly, I want to see these women ride giants. So without further ado, here is my conversation with a true inspiration, Sachi Cunningham. Okay, Okay, so here we are. Mm -hmm. Um, Where are we? Um, Oahu. Check. Check. Um, I'm Kailua. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not so putting you on much. the spot. I'm sorry. Okay. I just don't know many more specifics. You're going to have to help me out here. I can tell you that I'm looking out on a red um, kite surfing sail that is trying to get up and going. Apparently it's attached to a foil that is new to people. Mm-hmm. And there's a crowd of um, people watching the foil sessions laughing front. and um on your way to the foil sessions is the most spectacular green lawn i have seen perhaps it's like the greatest anywhere. football field like but not a football field yeah. or a golf course no. just like your Perfection. dream leading out to green the ocean. grass like that was my dream to have i i think i i'm sure i know i asked for christmas <laughs> at least once to have a green lawn in my backyard growing up because you didn't grow up with a green yard? I did not grow up with a green yard, no. Well, leads a, this leads us to a great transition point mm-hmm. to ask about, you know, how you came to be in my life, which I think is oh. a really beautiful show of sisterhood in Last Night. 
I've heard through the grapevine, you're a filmmaker uh, and you're making a, a surf film, right? That's what I know. Um, then I watched my dear friend Susie um, really, it seemed like, go out of her way to, to create a potential spot where for you to fundraise as a filmmaker for a film that you believe wholeheartedly needs to be made and you've been working on it for four years. So I'm Where so excited she, to hear way? that story. Um, I don't know. I, I would love to check I in to thank Susie. her properly. Thank you very much, Susie. <laughs> I haven't thanked her properly, but yes, and she did a... carve out. I mean, it was really touching to hear her talk about how this, she wanted to do something, you know, make her birthday into more than just a celebration to help someone out and... That's obvious. I don't know Susie that well, but that's obviously part of her essence is helping. How did you hear about all this? Well, Katie okay. um, Zakarian, who yep. I guess has been coming to these things for a while. How far back do you go with Katie? Um, I just met Katie also. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But she's known Susie for a while, okay. right? I think she's been to a few of these things, okay. these gatherings. Okay. And um, she was just hanging out with Susie a few weeks ago in San Francisco and telling her that she had been, you know, involved in investing in this film that I'm making about the best female big wave surfers in the world mm -hmm. as they fight for equity in the sport of big wave surfing and specifically a heat. Well, hopefully this season surf the first heat ever at the Mavericks competition in Half Moon Bay, California, and um, invited us to, you know, pitch the story and try and get funding. And so here... I am the day after trying to get funding. <laughs> how, do, how does it feel to stand up in front of a crowd, of crowd and ask for, for support for something that is attached to your heart? You know, is that a vulnerable feeling? <laughs> or is, are you able to step back because you, you've been through schooling around this? And you know what I mean? Like, can you... Yeah, I think it's very hard. I have had the fortune of um, having shown that trailer um, or variations of that trailer for the last four years. Oh, because um, you've been fundraising Because I've been trying years. to, yeah, I've been kind of pushing this um, rock up the mountain for a while, but so that was definitely the most, um, I don't know, I wouldn't call it intense because it was very enjoyable, um, but it was, the, I guess, the highest stakes kind of pitch that I've done Why? Yet. Why did you feel that way? Well, it was like the most condensed group of smart people that I've pitch non-surfers uh -huh. successful non-surfers smart people that I've you know pitched it to yeah which was the most valuable thing I think actually because gotcha. um the conversations afterwards and the Q&A we had after was really informative it was good for me what to did hear. you learn yeah what was the feedback that you got um well I mean some of the feedback um it was interesting to hear uh the uh a kind of minor but maybe major issue around the name, um, which I've still had some trouble naming the film. How did you film the name? It actually came from... So it started as Sea Change. Okay. Um, and this... Um, another tech entrepreneur um, uh, man uh, who sponsors Bianca Play Bigger is um, his branding consulting company. Um, anyhow, um, Al Ramadan... A very kind and successful um, entrepreneur who lives in Santa Cruz came up with a name. I was going through names, and I was telling him that Sea Change was the one that we had settled on for now. And but the problem with Sea Change is it that it doesn't indicate that this is specifically a story about women. Mm -hmm. And he is like, "How about She Change?" And I was like, 
that's brilliant. I don't know. At the moment, at the time, I thought it was great. And then it just kept um, growing on me. And I suggested it to Bianca. I mean, Bianca was there with me. Um, Sarah, the producer on this, was also there with me. They both liked it. Katie liked it. We tried to find some other alternatives. Um, but the name just kept growing on us. And I think it grew on me because it is, like, in itself a form of resistance and activism and call to action. But precisely because of that, I heard from many men last night that it was off-putting and um, that I kind of lost them at She Change, that they just heard She Change and they're turned off. So I can, all, I can take that with a grain of salt and just be like, well, good. I'm glad oh, I made like, you uncomfortable. Meaning like this is only for women, it's not for you. That's what There's two feminist activists, you know, too to aggressive. Aggressive. She change, you know. Why? Why would you fucking think of she change? You radical feminist. <laughs> so did they have any um, suggestions for alternatives if, I, if they wanted, if no. you wanted their support? No. So they, they said what they didn't like, but they didn't say anything that could actually, could, was constructive. Well, I mean, that was constructive. To know, to know to that honest. I could potentially alienate an entire audience just without even... With the name. With the name, you know, is informative. Because I, I certainly don't want to. And I definitely am... My audience is definitely men with this film. I mean, I think that... Um, really? It is. Oh, then it can't have that... that yeah. Then you're right. If, if that's your audience, then it cannot have that name. Yeah. Well, I mean, or... But it's... Or, or it can. I don't know. I just... <laughs> it is an interesting... So there's another... The other title. It. So the other title that people... So um, you saw the trailer, and, and it, Keala talks about the nickname we have for our little crew of women, which is Badass Big Boy Bitches, which is, to my memory, is Paige Alms came up with that when we first all met at Mavericks at the Super Sessions um, event four years ago when we were taking the boat back to shore and all of us were just kind of, um, what, just on cloud nine, just realizing that we had made history. just yeah experienced mm -hmm. something really special and that yeah. we were all just in the midst of giants and just literally giants. lit I've, yeah I've, yeah and just you call so, them giants i call them dragons like do you have an analogy like that like of so the wave skiing, itself or just that whole all of it like riding it and like playing dancing with something that could kill you right that, but also being at the pinnacle of what life is like right. i've only experienced it well, a few similar. times in my life. Yeah. But I'm curious what you guys... Do you guys have a name for it? Do you have a feeling, like a description? Right. I just call it Dancing with a Dragon. Yeah. I think that's an apt description. I don't know that we have come up with one. But but the people who ride them, we came up with... Or Paige came up with Badass Big Wave Bitches, which was brilliant. Um, which we loved. But then um, I would... And then a lot of people were like, you got to name the film Badass Big Wave Bitches. But then it's like, <laughs> well, what about the... Oh, that'd be hilarious. But then what about like my five-year-old daughter? Is it appropriate for yeah. me to be calling? And then there is also this issue of um, bitches. And like, it's okay for us to call ourselves bitches. Right. But then... And the guys love that. But then they're... I mean, Katie was brought up the fact that she's not comfortable with um uh what is that she said it in a much more intelligent way than I'm going to remember but basically you know the um 
it, it's just tricky. It's tricky. Yeah, no you know. shit. Like you it's okay for it's okay for the us to call ourselves bitches, but then for a guy to call us bitches. So how? Let me you know, ask you this: it's complicated. What is your intention with making this film? What do you hope people will will take from it and like walk away when they leave? Um, I hope that they will think about women writ large differently. I mean, I, I do think that um, there is a visceral and immediate power and um, change in the way that people can think about human beings when they see them doing extraordinary things, and particularly when they see women doing things they've never do them before, that they've never done before. I think it just totally just shifts the way that they they see um, the possibilities of what yeah it just it shifts what they think is possible for that person or in this case gender. So what would be a name that would represent that? Well, that's what I don't know. That's, can you come up with one? <laughs> or maybe your listeners what's like, can. What's like ocean? It's about ocean. Well, that's the thing. Of the tide. Um, it's charging. It also has to um, represent the um, chart. Like one of my yeah, no um, friends who is an ad executive was like, when I talked to him, he's like, chargers. I'll give you that one for free. You should just call it for chargers. And I don't think chargers like, is right. We have some music going now. I don't know if that's going to... But yeah, I think yeah, that the sorry, spirit, the, 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 he's right in that, like the spirit of that, I think that is something yeah. that these women have, that yeah. you have, that, you know, extreme yeah. athletes have. But it's, it takes... And it's something that is... That women don't um, have culturally in uh, spades as much as men do. They're not encouraged okay, to develop said, that charging okay, so spirit, you, I don't think. But you said this film is for men. Right, and so, the reason why I say that is because I think that I want, I know that I want men to change the way they think about women and what they think women are capable of doing. And I think until men change the way they think about what women are capable of doing, that things aren't going to change much in society, sadly enough. But and what of would course, make them actually watch it then? Well, obviously not the title she changed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like, if that's our audience, like, what do they want to see? That they'll, the hook... You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is what I was trying to ask myself when I made the film that I did. It's like, I think you are making a really great point. Of, if you know that this is for men, then you have to speak to them on their language. Yeah. And like, so it's like, what imagery, what, what audio, like, to help them hear. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to figure that out. I think you did. You nailed it. Chargers. Like, that's what they want to see. So if you just make it about that, they'll watch it. That's what I was trying to do. Mine was called Pretty Faces. You know, right. it's like this play on words. We want to go ski the pretty faces of the yeah. mountains. Yeah. Um, and yet, like, yeah, a little play on, like, um, it's not about how we look. You might see our faces in, um, you know, selling the whatever on the ski hill, but it's about riding these faces. So, yeah. anyways, my, I didn't mean to steal a show there, but. Um, <laughs> no problem. I guess, yeah. I guess I'm just so excited to speak to a filmmaker, right? And I didn't go to school for a film. I mean, I watched as much as I could about you today. Oh, thank you. Like, did are you, research? Were you happy with the, the, the piece that they just put out? About a couple, well, Katie's project. What are you talking about? Which piece are you talking about? Oh, right. This is Living with Cancer. Yeah. The one that Sarah it was produced. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought Katie was involved somehow too, but mm -mm, that's no, my so she was not. Yeah. So okay. Sarah produced that, and that's, and that's how you how guys I met. met Sarah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so exactly a year ago, I was teaching a um, workshop, video workshop in Panama, and 
as a and, filmmaker. As, as a filmmaker, well, and teacher, so I'm a professor also. So I was doing this month-long workshop in Panama, and the subject of this film, which was short profiles about people living, it was called This is Living with Cancer, and so yeah. it was short profiles of people who were had various cancers, various stages of cancer, and um, Sarah was the producer on that, and we had done one day of shooting in San Francisco and one day of shooting at a breath apnea, breath-holding course I took in San Diego, and then they had one day of shooting in um, Panama because that was the first time I had my daughter with me, and it was the first time that I went in the water after having um, reconstructive surgery on wow. breast reconstructive so, surgery. So, yeah, could yeah. you take me to the conception of this... I'd love, if we have time, I'd love to get both your story and the story of this film. Because it's been a long road. I mm -hmm. did my research today. Like, mm -hmm. uh, at least four years mm -hmm. in the making and different, it had a different, did it have a different name? Like Unwavering. So Unwavering was the first Okay, so anyways, name, let's just start. Yeah, let's we start at the beginning? The name, so yeah, okay. Um, I, I, I want to hear how, how this came to be. Well, um, of course, it depends where you want to say the beginning is. But I guess the beginning of this um, collection of, stories and collection of characters this cast of characters all came together at mavericks four years ago or four and a half years ago now four seasons ago um when there was this invitational event for women female big wave surfers um they for, invited for the first time ever first time ever they invited a dozen women from around the world um who you know everyone knew were surfing big waves but were doing it kind of on their own in different parts of the world and they all invited them to come to this invitational event at Mavericks. Um, it had, and, and they call it an invitational multimedia event because they couldn't call it an actual contest because there's only one contest permit issued per year for the Mavericks surf break. And that is, uh, been had a long and fraught uh, history. Um, Who but, issues that permit? A bunch of agencies, but one of the agencies that issue the permit is the California Coastal Commission which is um, one of the jobs of the California Coastal Commission is to protect equal access to the coast. And so the California Coastal Commission stepped... So the, regu the, the, the people who run the quote-unquote real contest are like the big contest, the contest yeah. with money, the contest that's part of the, the world stuff, tour. Like what would people recognize? The yes. WSL. So SL. now the World Surf League is the one that yeah. runs that contest. And prior to the World Surf League owning that contest... There was a group of a motley crew of um, shady individuals called the Cartel, aptly enough, um, uh, an LA event promoter who owned the contest. And yes, and um, that um, event promoter did not invite women, but until the California Coastal Commission stepped in and said, actually, you have to invite women wow. because we only give one permit per year to a contest and that permit covers a four mile swath of the coast and during from October to February there can only be this one contest and that one contest invites 24 men and that doesn't sound like equal access to the coast. 24 men does not sound oh, like equal access to the coast. Job. And they're just doing their job. And actually there's the precedent to this is there's um, a private beach club called the Jonathan Club in Los Angeles in Malibu that the Cal did not let um, Jewish people or African-Americans into their club back in the day. I mean, this is like the 80s, I think. Um, 
you know, fairly recently, the California Coastal Commission stepped in in a similar fashion and said, actually, you're a beach club that is on coastal property, and because of that, you need oh. to accept anyone who applies. Wow. You know. Yeah, so that's the so precedent. Would you say that there's racism then going on in surfing? Because that's what it sounds like. Yeah, well, we're talking about sexism. Yeah, I know, um, you but know, like, I, I think you that could equate it. Sure. I mean, racism, I mean, sadly enough, there just hasn't even been enough. There's, I don't think there's not enough people right, of various um, races trying to break the scene in big wave surfing or surfing in general that I, I don't know that I would categorize it as racism, but um, in the case of the Mavericks contest, it's definitely sexism. I mean, I feel like there's so many different, different people that love to surf. I would call it, I, I would argue for it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, but anyways, that's I mean, so but then the, the truth case. is, so the, but then there we also are contending with this um, statistic that the Surfrider Foundation put out not too long ago. That is that ninety percent of surfers worldwide are men. Right. That statistic actually. So Chad Nelson is the CEO of Surfrider, who was actually my water polo coach at Brown University, and um, he did that initial report, and I saw him recently at the Global Wave Conference. And I think that new statistics say that actually it's 80% men, maybe not 90%, but it's still pre- uh, the majority of surfers are men. So yes. you could also uh, you know, argue that, well, there's just not that many women doing it, so why should we have a contest for them? The numbers aren't there, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of what they're falling back on. Yeah. But the Coastal Commission is saying, no, actually, the coast is for everyone. Right. And, and even so, if there are only six that want to go, they should have the right to go. And more than that, that actually the contest should be actively encouraging and developing right. women in the sport. And that, then I would imagine that the comeback on that would be like, no, this is too dangerous. Sure, yeah. With women involved, that's the first thing I think that comes right. back right. at them is that it's too dangerous. Like, it's accepting for men to potentially die, but it's not accepting for women. Yeah. I mean, I just read, I'm reading this book called The Sports Gene that's um, examining just the um, genetics of nature-nurture behind athletes and and, and gender, uh, as it relates to gender and and race and all sorts of things. And I'm only a little bit into it, but it's only been since 2008 that track and field has ha- offered the same events to women as men. Whoa. So. And there's no chance you're going to die in track and field. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so it's not like this is uh, specific to big wave surfing, right? It's just athletics in general. Yeah. There just haven't been that many opportunities. There's just not the same opportunities for women as so, men. So, let me, I, I mean, I'm sorry to, I, I don't know if this is a comfortable subject, but, like, and I don't mean to make it about myself, but when I made a film... And it's about big mountain skiing. Mm -hmm. And I thought, like, I could not live with myself if someone gets hurt on my watch. Like, there's a reason I haven't made a second one. There's a reason, like, I didn't schedule as many trips as I could have. Just, I could have sprinkled trips all around. But I had to know, I don't know, I was, it was, it was terrifying to feel that responsibility. Um, And so I really pick and chose. And uh, it cost a lot of money for the few trips that we did. So, and my point is... How how have you, like, accepted that, um, that that could happen on, on your watch? You know, you're creating these opportunities to give these girls this chance that they haven't had. And, and what if, you know what I mean? Like, it's a lot of responsibility. And it's a lot of pressure once there's four and five cameras in the air. Like, I've screwed up so many shots. 
and I, <laughs> I, I made wrong choice. You know what I mean? So yeah. I guess I'm just wondering. Um, I made wrong well, choices for cameras um, For better or for worse, I haven't created that many opportunities for these women that they wouldn't have had otherwise. They would be doing this otherwise. It, they would be doing this with or without me. See, and that's, that's kind the of that's that, the and that's really my motivation. I mean, it, yeah, that's my motivation for. I mean, that's that's why, as a journalist, I'm coming at this story with so much interest. Is that this is happening with You're or without us? You're just documenting what's exactly. going on. Like, You're not the history is it. being made with or without me. Uh-huh. It's, but I want to make sure that the story is it told. does, yes, that the story's told okay. and it's not forgotten. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for that perspective. I was putting my stuff on you, which is beautiful, right? Like, thanks for that shift. Um, so, so go back to the story, where we are in the story of how it's getting made or how it's so coming to fruition. So we met four years ago at this contest. There were definitely four women that emerged as, right. and not emerged, that were already known. We all knew who each other were. We had seen photos of what yeah, we were doing. Yeah, there's this iconic photo of like all of you. There was like eight yeah. all in the water at the same time. It was shot from above. And it was like, is that true? Was that all of you? That were there. That I showed last night. Yeah. That was my photo. Yeah. Yeah. And I you shot that it. Photo. Yeah. Okay. And so that was my first time. Air? No, no, no. That was in the water. So it's swimming in the water. Oh, okay. But maybe there's you're another, thinking of a different photo. There's another, I think, angle of the same, the yeah. same thing there was, from above, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It was it looked a little above looking on. Okay, but anyhow, that's probably it. It was the first time that we were all together, and it was um, awesome. As I said, yeah. But there were four of us that I mean, the, I'm not one of those four. There were four: Bianca, Valenti. Kala Kenley, Andrea Muller, and Paige Alms, who, I mean, really, I should say, it was, so Bianca and I, at that point, had been um, shooting together for a few seasons, and Bianca lives in San Francisco with me at Ocean Beach, and Bianca is really who's pushed my level that... You guys live together? No, no, we we live in the same same neighborhood, neighborhood. yeah, and so she's kind of like, it was Bianca and I who were, like, the home, you know, this was, that was our home turf, and we're like... (laughs) Think so there that you we're were. kind of we think we're like our own badass big wave bitches, and then these freaking chicks from Maui roll in, you know, Keala, Andrea, I and mean, Kala lives in Oahu, but she's cut her teeth in terms of big waves at Chopu. But her page and Andrea really are the first ones. The right. three of them were surfing Jaws together. They were really the first crew. Sur- what do you mean of women. together? They surfed together. They, they grew all, up surfing together. They knew each other. They like knew how? each other from um, well, Andrea and Paige from Maui and on um, and KK. Well, I mean, you know, Andrea named her daughter Kayla after. No Kayla. way! Yeah. I didn't know that. And so Paige, tight. I mean, are... Kayla is really I, in my interviews with all of them and getting to know them. Kayla really, for all of us, Kayla was the very first pioneer. I mean, she was the one who we would see in surf magazines. Yeah. And I, when I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, yeah, I'd I see these photos of this crazy chick, KK, in a barrel at Chopu, and nobody mm-hmm. else had, you know, could nobody do that. Nobody could touch it. Nobody could touch it. No, no. It was like, who the fuck is this? Right. And so then Paige was like, I think I can do that. And then sure enough, she was. And you After know, Andrea, she saw what KK yeah, was doing? Yeah, she exactly. said that like, yeah. that inspired her and yeah. that inspired Andrea and Bianca says it inspired her. It definitely inspired me. And I was definitely, of all the people that I met that day, I was like definitely starstruck when I first met KK. I was mm-hmm. just, just because I had read, you know, she's so much. Had, she's a legend. She's, she, a legend. she's just is a legend. She's earned it. And then there they we were the four of us, and then to know the legend of KK, and then have her be like, "Oh, a little seal, but like, oh, look at you know, crazy, you're a crazy water person. Like, what the fuck are you doing in the water?" And everyone's <laughs> like, "I've never seen a woman in the water yeah. doing that." And so it was just like, 
I guess I'm one of you guys just like going for it. Well, I mean, but they, um, at the talk yesterday, people were asking their inspiration. Yeah, I'm so excited like, to hear that. Like, how did you become the one woman in the water with the big camera? Well, because like- it was something that I feel like I'd been training my whole life for. And at that point I had, it was my second season. What do you mean training big? your whole life for? I mean, I had been a competitive swimmer since I was seven. Water Where? pool in With no Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Chlorine pools, but like an Olympic swim, you know, Olympic caliber swim team, a club team where, yeah. you know, we had two Olympians on our team. And what was your favorite? Butterfly, 200 butterfly. butterfly. And, um, yeah. and actually, I think that was something early on. Um, <laughs> but early on, we had one of our Olympians was Melanie Buttermeyer, who was a butterflyer. And I remember from a very young age, you know, the nice thing about swimming is that it's co-ed and it's co- all ages, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's something powerful I didn't realize until later in life of training with a big mix of ages and genders that gives you a lot of confidence because, you know, boys and girls are training in the same lanes and sometimes the women are, you know, beating the men in training. And so there's just... I didn't know that. Yeah. So there's no separation in training for swimming. Is that the only sport like that? Because it seems like in almost every other sport, they're separated. Yeah, like, I, I know. I know the women's U.S. ski team does not train with the men's U.S. ski team. Oh, really? No. I mean, another key a few training times thing that I... overlap, but not much. Okay. I think most women... I mean, all the swim teams I've always had have always been co-ed like that and co-age and everything. So it's just merit. You know, it's just like who can swim the fastest. Yeah. And from a young age, a very young age, I had a very fast dolphin kick. So whenever we did kicking on a kickboard, yeah. I could always, it was me and Belly Butter, me and Melanie Buttermeyer. Like yeah. I could always keep up with Melanie Buttermeyer, which so it's like, oh, I guess I'm kind of good. Because I was very average at right. that point Is there in like the a swimming. Swimmer body? Absolutely. Oh my God. And I don't even know how, I would never be a swimmer these days. Now swimmer's bodies are. Right. Like, I thought you had to be super tall. You do. I mean, I don't know Webbed that fingers. I could have been a swimmer these days, honestly. I mean, it's just like, yeah, you have to be an Amazon. Like, so I shot the Olympic team in two thousand. Uh, so you're not. Let's describe like who you I'm are. I'm five. I'm five two. Yeah. And not. So where did it come from? But like, so I, so but then I can. But Melanie Buttermeyer is also five three, or she's okay. this extremely short swimmer and made it to the Olympics, and they were wow. like the. Um, you know, there's always the exception. Yeah. And so she was one of those exceptions. So I'm sure that played no small part in my thinking. And there was another teammate that, um, oh gosh, what was your I'm thinking? forgetting her name, but she gave me my very first bathing suit, my, my very first swim meet. I had forgotten my bathing suit, I think. And she gave me her bathing suit wow. and my very first swim meet. I, I got a ribbon. It was in a butterfly event. Um, so I was very coordinated, and I had a good, really strong butterfly kick. And that got me through a lot of my swimming career. But as, you said, and you I said was a very was... hard worker. Like, I always trained harder than anyone. anyone. So Yeah, I mean, but you said she inspired your thinking. What about her inspired your thinking? Like, what Melanie inspired Buttermeyer, what thinking? Like, that it was possible. It's like, there's this chick that's 5'3", right. and she's an right. Olympian, and she's swimming faster than anyone in on the team. Not boys and girls. Boys and girls. Okay, she's so swimming faster than anyone in, she's on the team. It. You know, and it's just like... So and then on the kick, I couldn't keep up at all on the swimming, but when we did the kickboard, yeah. I could. And so it was like, okay, that's interesting. And store that, and yeah. obviously that stores an, an, an element of confidence, but it wasn't until I was um, doing water photography, it wasn't until I was a body surfer, and um, specifically water photography, um, 
I don't know that everyone does a butterfly kick. I don't think everyone does, but I have um, a naturally strong uh-huh. butterfly kick, and you can't use your arms when you're shooting. Right. You can only you because the camera's so big. I would call that a full-on mermaid so kick. Like, it is come on. A wiggle butt is what they call it in my daughter's swim swim classes. <laughs> wiggle butt. Yeah, but it is. Yes, you feel like a mermaid. It feels very. Um, but you're using it. Mammalian, as- or it feels very. You just going kind of like tapping into some sort of wow um yeah and you're capturing your art that way yeah and like you said that image that i'm thinking of in my head that was above that means you had to have a massive camera above like treading water to get this incredible shot yeah wow Yeah. yeah and these cameras are not small no, so it's like, I don't know, 35 pounds. The thing is when they're float, if you want to lift it out of the water, if you're, if it's, it does float in the water. Sure. Um, so that helps. But the, so that helps. But yeah, you have to have some arm strength and you have to have, I'm also realizing it's that same book, The Sports Gene, um, and it's um, just talks about how, ath- the, uh, how, how elite athletes, a lot of it is, it's that 10,000 hour. Okay, but how do you thing. go from like, Okay, I get it. Swim team, like I can wrap my head around that. To photographer, like how do you think you well, can so do that? And water photographer. So okay. simultaneously, when I was sixteen years old, I got my first DSLR camera because I had been taking photos with those little one twenty cameras, and I had an interest in photography. So when I was a teenager, my when I was sixteen, I got my first nice camera, and so I had been taking photos. Was that, was that film? I was, film, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I was taking photos since I was a young kid, and then right around that same time living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania as a swimmer. But also, um, side note, my parents are from Southern California, and so every summer growing up, we spent two weeks at the beach at my grandparents' house in Southern California, I mean, a house they rented in um, Capistrano Beach, California. So for two weeks every summer since I was born, mm-hmm. I was at the beach for mm-hmm. two weeks, 24-7, in the water practically 24-7. I mean, I just loved it. And then we would go back home to Pittsburgh, and I'd be like... Why are we going back to Pittsburgh? Um, I love the ocean, um, but so I um, learned how to be in the ocean from a very young age. I had that experience from a very young age. I did not learn to surf back then. I did not have any surfers in my family. I did have body surfers in my family, so I learned how to body surf. So when did you learn how to surf? So I didn't learn how to surf until I was um, 25. Hmm. Yeah, so it wasn't until I was an adult. But I had, um, I was a perf- I think I was a pretty good body surfer at that point. And so I felt, I think it's a combination of that huge background of swimming that made me just very comfortable in the water. There was an athleticism involved with that, specifically training as a competitive swimmer that I think benefited me later in life quite a bit because I just had that base level of, you know, training four hours a day, six Uh days a week and lifting weights and like, you know, training at a um, a high level that... um, and swimming is such a just um, regimented. Yeah, very um, um, almost what? mechanical. Yes, and it's crazy. I mean, it's really, crazy. it's crazy. It's really you it's crazy. If we just go, go get down to it. It's in the quiet. Crazy. Yeah, and so that ability to be like fine with just swimming laps um, that's, translated that's, to having an um, would you a call patience that a meditation? and endurance. Yeah, yeah, it's like a patience a, and endurance for being out in the water. Yeah. It very it translated very directly to that. So there were a lot of like factors that came into play. But so when I was a competitive swimmer at sixteen, learning how loving photography, my dad 
called me down. This was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, he was watching TV and saw this documentary about Aaron Chang, who's a water photographer, a famous water photographer. And it was um, a video of this guy, Aaron Chang, out in the waves with his camera shooting photos. And this was pre-social media, pre-M from Pittsburgh. And was I'm he just shooting like, surfing surf photos? Surf photos, okay. yeah. And I was like, what? Like, I had never even seen that before. It's like, what? You can, you can swim in the waves with your camera and it's, it's a job? And it was like... I obviously I need to be doing that yeah. and um, so but I just stored that until I um, graduated from college went to Brown um, in Rhode Island the ocean state but I did not um, tap into the ocean <laughs> ways um, in college it was um, mostly focused on my academics and then um, went to Japan right after college and that's when I was that was my first job that I earned my first money and so I spent my first money on buying a film camera and um I found some and what a did you study in college? I was a history major. Okay. American history. Um I did know back then that I wanted to be a filmmaker, but I did not really have um a bunch of fiction stories did in my head. Did you have it since you were little? I, like you said, from watching that documentary, is that what made you say, this is what I, I want to do or not? Well, so there were two things in parallel. So I saw that and was piqued my interest in water photography. I also, around that time, saw this movie, Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee, that um, is about race relations in New York. And I went to a um, very... Um, a, black, white, racially tense um, high school in Pittsburgh. And um, as a half-Japanese uh, woman in that environment, I was the only Asian. I was just kind of this outsider. And I was kind of no, somewhere in between. I was had the benefit of not being pigeonholed into any specific group. So I think I had the benefit of having a little empathy with all of the groups and really wanting to create positive change and help people see each other's perspectives um, and saw this movie that Spike Lee made which was brilliant and really rocked my world and made me realize that storytelling has the power to help Shift. people understand each other Love and it. think Love differently it. and so prior to that I think I wanted to go into politics because that seemed like the most <laughs> obvious way to get change done and change policy and you know real yeah, change but that's what um, I thought too until I looked at it yeah and then and but then I saw this film and it's like whoa that is like way more positive powerful and when you, when you touch someone emotionally exactly they don't lose they you've touched them you've yeah. shifted something exactly yeah yeah so so I had so it was this filmmaking idea this water photography idea I went to Japan to teach English I bought my first camera found a water photographer in Japan to, and asked him if I could apprentice with him, learned as much as I could with that. Simultaneously, after the, that year of teaching, I then worked for a um, movie theater in Japan. Um, it was actually a, a theater complex owned by a guy that was an exchange student um, with my dad's family in high school who had since um, had this multi-theater complex that had the first THX sound system, Lucas, um, George Lucas's specialized sound system for theaters. That's when the special edition Star Wars came out. I was hired to usher in that special, uh, to create marketing around that special edition Star Wars coming out in the only TH6 theater in all of Japan. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm getting a little sidetracked. But, um, but anyhow, how- it was kind of like these two branches of both filmmaking and water photography started and at the, the same swimming. time. Yeah. I definitely, my passion was always in the water photography, but I could never really figure out how to make a living out of it. And the filmmaking, there were avenues, very clear avenues to make a living. So, So, but how is all of this being impacted while as essentially a teenager, you're facing losing your mom to cancer? Um, good question. So yeah, so when I was 15, my mom was diagnosed with um, ovarian cancer. She was actually um, had breast cancer when I was born. So she had, um, right after I was born, she had a radical mastectomy, which back then they didn't do lumpectomies and radiation or anything. They just, they cut the breast down to the bone. They cut the muscle, everything down to the bone. It's the best thing they knew how to do. Right. And so she, um, so I grew up with this um, and she, they couldn't do reconstruction back then. So, you know, so I grew up seeing this very mutilated um, body of my mom's, which, you know, I think you can definitely say that scars are beautiful and I am all for that way of thinking. I do think the reality is though, that it was a really scary looking scar and, um, ultimately made me, um, fearful and aware that something that the other shoe could drop at any moment. And in fact, it did when she was diagnosed with uh, stage four ovarian cancer when I was 15. So I was a sophomore in high school. And then um, after she had lost her breath. So that was 15 years. So it was actually, yeah, I remember when they first diagnosed it, they were like, the good news is that it's not the breast cancer. It's a separate cancer, you know, like, so Uh, it's not like it didn't come back, didn't come back, but Flash forward 10 years, flash forward 20 years later after she passed away after five years. So she fought it for five years. Um, She died when I was 19. But then fast forward 20 years later, they now know enough about the occurrence of breast cancer and ovarian cancer at a young age like that, that they're linked. And so now they know about this thing, the BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene, which is um, if you test positive for having this gene indicates that um, you that they're linked. That basically is it wasn't a coincidence that she had breast cancer and then ovarian cancer. They're linked, and so I, because of my mom's um, early age of having cancer, I um, qualified for having this genetic test. I had the genetic test done after my daughter was born. I didn't elect to get it done until after she was born because I knew that I wanted to have a child, and um, I tested positive with that positive diagnosis. I was told that I had a 90% chance of getting breast cancer and a 60% chance of getting ovarian cancer. And so I knew um, before getting that test that um, I would do whatever I had to to um, reduce those odds. And so the options for me were to get a total um, hysterectomy and a bilateral mastectomy um, with reconstruction. And so that's what I did. I did... um, got everything cut out and that was two years ago and when they cut everything out um they discovered that i had a two millimeter tumor growing in my fallopian tubes already and And you were proactive yeah and so um because of finding that tumor and also finding some cells loose in my peritoneum which is the cavity that everything sits i went through six rounds of chemo and um, lost all my hair, lost all my eyebrows and eyelashes. And, um, but actually, I think I got off pretty easy, um, relatively easy. In the moment, I wouldn't have said that, but um, 
you know, here I am and you two have years mom later. To thank for that, right? Absolutely. I mean, she was basically a Absolutely. giant like warning, and then you owned your power because of her. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, in science, there's of yeah. course a female scientist that discovered that gene. But wow, um, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, it was a good time to get cancer. <laughs> I it was a very um, extremely fortunate confluence of events, and I couldn't have done it. I mean, the reason I got the test when I did is we were thinking about having a second child and, um, it was like, well, you know, I, I should probably just see if I so have this gene. Did it make you feel like, was there a part of it that made you be like, okay, what am I going to do with this one life? Like, because it wasn't right. Mom, so mom your original so question. Far. Yeah. So yeah. your original question is when my mom died, definitely that rocked my world and changed everything. Yeah. I think prior to that, I was very much type A, overachiever, you know, you set a goal, you work towards it, you realize that goal, which I'm still that way. But I think when something like that happens, you realize, you know, that adage that God laughs at your plans and you can't really, um, as hard as you work and wish for something to happen, you, there's an element of not having any control over that. And so then you have to start wondering, like, well, why am I working so hard for this? And why do I really want that goal? What is that goal all about? And so it just makes you question everything. And I think that it made me um, very quickly, I think most people I know who have lost a parent um, or had some sort of trauma or death early in life, it, it just it, it makes you just stop and take a look around and be like, okay, life is shit. It really puts perspective in it's not a given. the idea that life is short. And you're like, okay, what do I want to do in this life? Yeah. And I didn't know at first. I spent most of my 20s, you know, just um, partying and <laughs> running away from it and yeah, trying were, to were figure it out. Were you mad at your mom at the time for leaving? Oh, you I was never mad at my No, I mean, anger is definitely an uh, emotion that is part of grief. I don't. I was never mad at her specifically. I was definitely just mad at the at universe. The universe. Yeah. yeah, you're yeah. mad at the universe, yeah. which is why, like, um, drugs and being reckless helps with that some, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but it's more just seeking meaning and true meaning. And so I think that um, when I had landed on water photography in the ocean and it was like touching a part of my soul that I knew was real and needed to be fed and, and was the true me, mm-hmm. yeah, that I needed to nurture and develop which was what in the water like um like, how, how was it there how was it there or yeah what? how did you find it there what was it about being in the water and the photography and all of it like you said yeah I mean it was just this confluence of everything it, it was this what that had always been there that yeah. thank god I found this outlet that yeah. was like oh I have I love taking photos I love being in the water I have athletic gifts that enable me to do this thing that not that many people can do and not only can I do it in terms of a proficiency but is tapping into something really deep inside that's like just bringing me pure joy and after your mom dies of cancer like and you're really sad and depressed it's like to experience joy like that and to experience um, what you are unique and good at is and and what you can bring to the world is very satisfying that's a gift Yes. You definitely have the contrast there. <laughs> you yeah. know for sure. Yeah. Wow, that sounds like real, really living and really lo- like loss and living at the, you know, 
at the fullest extent. Yeah. So what was it like to get in the water those first times, you know, where I don't, how did you get pulled into it? Did you have a mentor? Did you just go out there? Like, how do you go to start doing that? And, and like, is there, is there that, that localism? Um, do the photographers have that the way the surfers have that? Like, what's that like? (laughs) Yeah, they definitely do. I've, um, mostly shot in places where I don't have that much competition. So I don't, it's not like I'm like bad. It's not like, so if you shoot at pipeline in Oahu on the North shore, you're shooting with like 20 other photographers, right? Where I shoot in San Francisco, I'm usually the only one. And I was the first, you know, and I was the first one. Not um, male or female, just the first one. Yeah. Why? To be doing that because it's... Um, cold water? Cold, it's rough, um, it's shifty. There's uh, just, I think it's crazy. And most people just didn't want to bother. So it's hard, <laughs> it's, it's challenging seas more so than pipeline that we're so used to seeing? Yeah, I don't want to say... I mean, it's different. So I don't think it's... It's it's different. Pipeline has its own challenges. But, um, yeah, I think that there's... it's. I think what it is is it's a more of an unknown um, experience or quantity. Like, there, there... But yet again, I was not the first. So the reason I did... Felt confident enough to swim out there and take photos because as fate and luck and fortune would have it, the very first time that I went out at Ocean Beach, I um, went with my then boyfriend who was a surfer. I was not a good surfer at that point. And he went out surfing. The first time he took me to surf at Ocean Beach, he went out surfing. I did not feel comfortable enough to go out surfing, but he had um, binoculars, and I was sitting in the parking lot looking through my binoculars at him surfing, and then I see this little orange swim cap bobbing around, and I realize it's a swimmer, and then Mm -hmm. I realize, then I see the person ride a wave, and I realize it's a body surfer, and I'm like, oh, okay, I can body surf, like, and I'm looking closer, and I'm realizing that it's a woman that's body surfing, and so so I was like, there's a, there's a woman out there. And of course, like seeing a woman as a woman out there, it gives you agency to yeah. think that you can do that too, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's like permission. It's yeah. like exp- mind expanding. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, well, <laughs> she shit, can do it, I can she's do it. out there, I'm yeah. going to go out. And so I got on my swimsuit, and I, I mean my wetsuit, and I swam out, and I was like, hi, I'm Sachi, what's your name? And her name is Judith Sheridan, and she's a legendary body surfer who mm-hmm. is... Surfs Maver- body surfs Mavericks, and she's just this incredible. So she also is. She's from Michigan. She's a swimmer. She has a swimming background. She is built like a swimmer. She's got this Amazonian, you know, swimmer's body, big, strong, um, and she in that moment taught me everything. In that moment, she just taught me everything I needed to know about how to dive under the waves, how to just survive the surf. Take at, a pounding? Yeah, everything. She just taught me it like right then and there. How do you take there. a pounding when it's like so strong that it's ripping your suit off? How do you take that? Like, I can't... All I can think of is an avalanche from where I come from, and those, they kill people. <laughs> right. Well, actually, the um, I, maybe it's a dirty little secret about water photography is that or swimming in the ocean is that if you do it well I mean I don't want to sound cocky and um yes you definitely can get your limbs ripped off of you and there's um you can there's a lot that you can't control but there is an ability because you don't have a surfboard attached to you and something Mm. that's floating up there that's pulling you back you can dive deep 
And so yeah. it's like if you're doing, and so what she taught me is how to actually, you, that you keep your eyes open under the water. And unlike, so when you're keeping your eyes open in um, clear waters like Hawaii, you can actually swim under, and I actually swim into little caves in the reef. Mm. Like you can see where you can go and you can find little nooks and crannies that you can avoid. That You can be under a reef and then pounding waves on top of you. And you it's not that you don't feel anything, but you're not experiencing the, the same impact and all of that. But Ocean Beach is a sand bottom and it's very dark, but what she taught me on that very first day is that you have to keep your eyes open nonetheless. And um, because um, in really big, thick surf like that, um, the ocean creates like spirals of like pillars. Yeah. yeah, they're like little pillars of, of um, turbulence. And yeah. if you keep your eyes open, you can swim around. You swim, you weave yourself through those pillars. Do they even pull you in, in some yes. cases? Yes, well, yeah. So sometimes you can miss swimming through and around those right. pillars and they can suck you up or oh, pull shit. you down or, you know. Oh, wow. But if you get, you know, if you, you can get proficient at like knowing how to swim through them so you can find these pockets of non turbulence and um, no problem. Yes. You're swimming through tornadoes. <laughs> Yeah. So um, so they're swimming through. So that was one little trick that now all your, now all your podcast listeners know the secret. You swim through tornadoes. But so, everybody wants to know all my horror stories of near death experiences with what I do. And the truth is, like if I'm doing my job well, like I'm I am not experienced that much because the times that I have, been scared and had, yeah, like been scared for my life. I, it takes so much energy out of you and so much adrenaline out of you that. After you're recovered from that, you're so spent that you have to go in. Like, you can't keep right. shooting. so it's not efficient. So it's, like, defeats the point, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You're not like one of your surfers. You need to stay out there for every wave until it, it yeah, drops. So exactly. You, so exactly. you're in a different sport. Exactly. It's it called, is, um, yes. Exactly. like and, Yes, and, yes. Yeah. And it's, it is a sport. I mean, and I do feel like it's a sport. And that's, absolutely, it's yeah. a sport. And then, but what but I love about it, art. it's an art. Yeah. And you're combining the two, and I've never found a role model that does them both. No. So I'm just like, yes. When I, <laughs> you know, as you, as I asked last night, like you thought that I had the, I was had the question for the girls, but equally, I had that same question for you. You know, what? Who were your role models? Who showed you that this was possible? Where and, did you think you could? And like, who do you think you are? And, and it's that? always, and when I think about the key people, it has been women. And that's why really? I'm so grateful for like Judith who came before me. And, that's ironic, don't and you think? It's like, not ironic. It's very um, much why I'm making this film. Because I know the power of having those role models. And the other one before that would be when I was spending my two weeks every summer at Capistrano Beach, there was... Jill, I'm forgetting her name, last name, but she was my next door neighbor at the beach house and she was probably 10 years older than me and she was like California goddess, lifeguard, just Ah. body, you know, she was just kind of everything I wanted to be. She was a whole package. One critical, I was very young and she taught me also how to just be out in the water she taught me gotcha. how to dive under waves she taught me how to stay calm when i dove under waves and you know so. so it just sounds like it's women that that spoke to you and that taught you my point is that the reason i said um isn't that ironic because kk has a different story she was brought up by men, right yes and i have that story like uh-huh. i learned what i've learned through from men and so right. i'm so thankful in some small cases they're from women my cousin being one of them who i'm honoring you know in in my filmmaking now uh-huh. um but th- there weren't that many. 
And so I was like looking for them, but it sounds like you just found them. Um, I did. I was I looking found... for them in media. Uh huh. Um, yeah. And they. Didn't I mean, exist. I've had I've had also some influential um, people in in that are men, and actually one of them being the my first boyfriend Jesse yeah. Simon, who I moved to Ocean Beach with. Like he took me out in surf that I had no business being out in, and he. For whatever reason, believed like, in you. Yeah, and just even though he knew I couldn't surf, I guess he knew I could survive. Or like he, he never once. I mean, he just made it seem possible. You know, like he he never once was like doubting me or like he didn't see you differently somehow. Yeah, and he didn't treat yeah. you differently. Yeah, and so I mean, it definitely it's not just these those two yeah. women, but I do think that ha- those two women were very key. I right. mean, just knowing that they existed. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and literally, yeah, love it. Yeah. Um, so where are we on life trajectory? Well, so life trajectory now, I have a five-year-old who I just spent this morning swimming around with in the water, and um, I'm trying to give her the same kind of confidence and provide role models. I actually got a pang of feeling really sad that I wasn't staying in the athlete's house with you guys because <laughs> I was like, oh, it would have been so nice for Nami to have all these women female athletes. Yeah, that's why I right you away know? was like, you're coming with me, sister. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. So it was, um, it's it's fine. We have, we wanted to see another friend and yeah, we'll have also, time. but we'll have more, but times. just the more I can. Um, and, and I know at just because of social media now and everything else, like now there are women that have come to me that I haven't even met who have said that I've impacted the way they think about what's possible. And so, yeah, so that's where we are now is that I'm hoping to be that person for other people. And I'm still seeking those people out for myself to continue to better myself. And I've met you now and, you know, so, and it's, it's really wonderful to meet someone like you who, you know, you're on the mountains, I'm in the water, but we've had similar struggles same. and similar, you know, right. Like we're just kind of um, experiencing the same things and can learn from each other and mm-hmm. help each other. And, it is ironic. Yeah. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm seeing it across all kinds of silos, right? Like the storyline might be a little bit different, but in, in so many ways, it's, it's the same beautiful rising of mm. these stories coming out, these women stepping into their power as artists, as creators, um, less willing, less concerned about approvals um, and just creating their art. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I'm so inspired by it. So um, I don't know. Anything else you want to... I typically ask, you know, more questions, but we're at a... I mean, I think, I will say, I think it's... Um, I was thinking about it today. Um, what was nice... I mean, it just comes with age, but um, I, as, as an artist now, it's just really, and then specifically with this film, I've, I've co-directed my last two films. Right. So um, this is the first film of feature length that I'm directing solo. So wh- tell me about that. So I, I went to do my research today, mm-hmm. and I found another film mm-hmm. that you were involved in, mm-hmm. um, but it has the same footage as what some of the things I saw last night. Am I right? Oh, it, it ain't pretty. Is that what yeah. you're? Yeah. Yeah. So I was just a shooter. I just contributed footage to that. Yeah. Okay. So I was not the filmmaker. Okay. For that. Yeah. And so did, was that trying to push the? You know, trying to get tell the same story. Like, how is that compared like, to what you're making now? Yeah. So I think that. Um, and and how did did that succeed? What happened to that? What was that story? 
Um, so that is a film by De La Soul, who is um, from Northern California, and she is a surfer that um, Bianca was also the subject of uh, the main character in that, um, but it was more of a um, overview of women surfing kind of in at now which is now for you know the film's um a few years old now but um it was um similar in that it's about this upright um about the rise of women in the sport of surfing um but not big wave surfing and or? there and it and it is uh, touches on big wave surfing i think it but it also talks about um some programs for youth and girls it's more about women in surfing i think um is more the focus is just women in surfing at large you know um okay. and with there is big wave surfing in it. I don't think the focus is completely big wave surfing. And so where I think um, um, her film... So it's film like one act- aspect of women surfing. Yeah, so I, I gotcha. think it's a good... I, what is, it's a ton of um, spirit and um, soul. And I feel like it's a, I, it's a perfect kind of primer. Like, I think it's a great film to see that. And then she even ends the film... The last title card is to be continued. Love it. And I feel like this, my film is the natural next kind of thing. So I think if you watch her film, you'll get a good overview of, of kind of what the status of the state of women in surfing just uh, at large and the struggles. And then and it's uh, more of an overview. And, and I think um, what I'm trying to do with my film is is just focus on these four women specifically yeah. and these four women. And, and it is big wave surfing specifically. So how did you go from paddling out into the lineup to, and, and just shooting? It wasn't, weren't you initially, that's all you were doing. You're shooting for LA times and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So how, how long was it before you, before you, you found this story as a journalist? Well, that's where I feel like a lot of um, ownership and um, uh, hard work has gone in. And so, so I, I was following, I did a story for the LA Times about the big wave men um, 10 years ago. And I was the first, that was the first comprehensive um, story that came out about big wave surfing at the time. There were a lot of films that came out after that. Um, so um, I feel like uh, big wave surfing as a beat has been something I've been in very much involved with for over a decade. Um, and so, of course, and so I was one of the only women on the other side of the lens for that. Okay. But then all of a sudden there's more and more women in front of my lens, and it was like a, just a natural progression gotcha. of like, well, shit, this is my story. This is my, <laughs> these are my people. Like I'm, And at that point I was one, you know, and then that point... I became one of them and I'm not one of the surfers, but I athletically was yeah. inspired by them and, yeah. and by these men just by the sport in general inspired me so, to want to get that much deeper and closer to the, but taking action. all this on and financially and all of it. And you have a daughter like, and a family and a husband, like how do you say I'm going to be able to do this and be good at all those other aspects of my life. And I assume how else do you make money? Are, are you making money through that? Like, I make money by teaching. Okay. So the reality is that I... Um, so I was at the LA Times. I was on staff there. The problem... Okay. And that was an amazing job and enabled me to... Gave me the budget and um, support to do that story about big wave surfing for the men. Um, the downside of that kind of job is you're still doing dailies. You're still doing... You know, you're... 
you're able to do your own stories, but um, you, you can't focus solely on your stories because yeah. you're doing yeah. just the daily news, and you know, so that's, that's a real job. Yeah, it's a real <laughs> job. Um, and then I um, quit that job, and my husband at the time was working for um, NPR um, West in LA, and we both quit because we um, wanted to make a family and have an adventure and um so we had saved we were ostensibly saving money to buy a house or do whatever you're supposed to do as an, a young adult and instead we bought a truck and quit our jobs and we drove from LA to Chile um over the course of 14 months and um during that time uh is when Nami came along and also during that time I saw a listing for a job opening at San Francisco State teaching multimedia journalism and so I applied to that and when I was in Panama and then I got a call back for an interview when we were in Peru and um, when we got to Pat by the time we got to Patagonia I had found out that I got the job um, and I was four months pregnant and oh so I or that I was pregnant and so I started my job so we moved back to San Francisco and um, the beauty of a tenure track job um, is that part of my job is to make, to do scholarship. And in my case, the scholarship is making documentary films. Awesome. And so... So it works together really well. Yes. So I'm, you know, so I'm paying my bills by teaching. Um, but that teaching job also gives me time to focus on Beautiful. my creative Beautiful. works. And Good also, yeah, may, enables me to just do the creative works that are important to me and I don't I'm not I don't need to make money on those creative works necessarily um the problem though that I'm facing and why I had that fundraiser and why maybe some of your your listeners here would like to support is that I um yes I can create make those creative works um but you have to raise the money to make them yes I can't write a book I can't yeah. just write it you yeah. know it's it's different than other academics okay so really that. quickly yeah give me your line items that you need support and in, in making this film to finish it Immediately, I need money to um, hire an editor, and uh, um, yeah, so yeah, so just give me bullet points. Bullet points. I have probably fifty percent of the film shot. Um, the last four years, I've been catching the key moments. Um, I would like to have time with an editor to compile those and create a game plan that will set me up for this final season in a way that so do you I have can a be very targeted. I do, yeah. I mean, but as in all documentary films, you can only kind of um, create that narrative to a yeah. certain extent, right? Because you're Who following knows? what actually happens. Yeah. So the last thing you need to shoot is... I mean, the big key, the, big... the money moment that I want and I'm hoping to still get is the Mavericks contest. Is this? I've been waiting for Multiple four years for this. of shooting the Mavericks contest. Yeah, and then leading up and to that, I would like to, of course, and... get the training, the women training for that. I still would like to get nice two-camera, well-lit interviews with all of the women and some of the key people involved in big wave surfing. Um, and then I would I need to do archival collection from all the women. I, part of this is that I would like to get the backstories of yeah, all of these four sure. women's and, and women and what makes them who they here. are. And mm -hmm. so all of that, it, it requires... Ultimately, we're talking about an editor who's putting all of this together, and editors are... $800 a day, you know, the good ones, um, five to $800 a day. And, um, I haven't, I've only spent money on this. I haven't paid myself anything. I do have this teaching job that I actually had taken a year, a year leave of absence this past year to kind of, um, recoup from my year with cancer and to work on this documentary, but I have run out. I've spent all the money that so, I had saved so, up. So, so you got that going you got back to editor. teaching in the fall. So if I got my editor, so the my key 
points uh, fundraising are an editor. We're talking fifty grand. Yeah. Okay. And then let's just give just give me thirty seconds. Yeah. Three hundred and what was it? Fifty. Three hundred fifty would be the total. Yeah. You're giving away all kinds of things on the website from not give, giving away, but you can purchase. Yeah. She your, changed the film dot com. She yep. changed the film dot com, and. Uh, you're you're selling prints mm-hmm. that are one of a kind prints mm-hmm. on your website. Mm-hmm. Um, you're giving away incredible opportunities to be there in the lineup. Yeah, which at is Mavericks, fucking awesome. Uh, and uh, and there's all kinds of ways to get involved. So anything else that we could share before we gotta hit the before road, get you to the, the airport. Get to the airport. Um, just um, just to, I think just keep listening to your podcast and keep <laughs> no, thinking sweet. of rad last, just last supporting question. rad female athletes and, and supporting the young female athletes around you and yeah last question too, but. that was beautiful thank you <laughs> sorry to rush you no I ask everyone what advice would you give to your younger self at a time when she really needed it believe in yourself don't be afraid to fail and um just keep at it because you only live here once yeah you only get you know, we only get one shot so we might but as well screw up enough times to get it right yeah and especially women you have to persevere like it's like my you know i'm like oh four years i've been pushing this mountain this rock up the hill but then you hear i mean i was just talking to an architect um yesterday a female architect zaha hadid this female architect she had designs for 10 years that nobody would pay attention to her and yeah. I think women more than any more than men for better or for worse have to persevere and a little and work a little harder and just don't give up. Yeah. Woo. Thank you so much for listening, friends. If you enjoyed this conversation, give us a review on iTunes or send me a message on the socials. I love connecting and I've been so inspired by the words of inspiration that you have shared from listening to the podcast. And I might even share it if you're okay with that. You can find Saatchi at csaatchi, S-E-A-S-A-C-H-I, on the socials. And until next time, I'm Lindsay Dyer, reminding you to show up, even if you suck at it, because we only get this one wild and precious life. See you in the mountains, unicorns.